Welcome back to the FFP. Today, me and Rob thought it would be fun to just hang out and talk about the recent Julio Jones trade and the impact of that and how it's going to change some fantasy value for some players. Though we will say, keep an eye out for our next video. It's going to be our top 24 running back rankings. Been putting a lot of work into that one. It's taken a lot, but I'm really excited to do it. Uh, But that's next video. Let's worry about right now. Rob, I want you to kind of kick us off and get started. What are the biggest things to know and, you know, from some of these players about how Julio changing teams is going to affect this? Yeah, you know, okay, so let's start with Matt Ryan. We'll go back and forth. I'll talk about Matt Ryan. You'll talk about Tannehill. He's taking the Titans. I'm taking the Falcons. So anyways, what impact does that have uh, Julio Jones leaving to all those Atlanta players? Well, it's interesting. About a month ago, Matt Ryan said he couldn't imagine what the offense would be like without Julio. Well, you know what? He's going to get to find out because he's gone now. Um I don't want to talk about football impact as far as the team goes. I want to talk about the fantasy impact because that's why we're doing this, right? So we're not going to get into like record-wise, how does it affect the dynamic of the team. We'll just talk fantasy. Uh, you'd have to be ignorant or insane to think that somehow him leaving is going to help uh, Matt Ryan, uh, I think, right? You, you have to be foolish. Although uh, there were some that could or would argue that from time to time, quarterbacks actually improve when their top wide receiver goes down or, or leaves. Uh, Some would argue that quarterbacks can become too dependent on their studs, and what they'll do is they lose creativity, they become predictable, and they force the ball in there a lot. An example of that would be Baker Mayfield. Mm -hmm. Um, Last year, if Odell Beckham went down, he actually got a lot better, a lot more efficient. That team improved drastically. Um, And so that would maybe be the argument that he would get better. Maybe he was forcing the ball into Julio too much. Uh, But Matt Ryan's uh, stats clearly state otherwise, that uh, without Julio, he's going to be certainly hurting a little bit. Now, last year, his quarterback rating without Julio Jones dropped 44 points in games that he wasn't in. He was also really inconsistent last year, Matt Ryan was. Early in the year, it looked like he's going to be great. I actually had him. I felt like he was a steal. But he ended up having eight games with either one or zero touchdown passes, and that's, uh, that's just gross. It's kind of just unacceptable, to be honest it with you. Yeah. Yeah. When there's so many guys that you could stream from week to week. Okay? Now, so if you look at Matt Ryan, in all of his games, he's played without Julio Jones. In his entire career, he's had a passer rating of 88.6. He's got 6,500 passing yards, 39 touchdowns, or 25 interceptions, and about 25 games without Julio in his career. So uh, you take a look at these numbers now. Now, with Julio, his quarterback rate jumps up about 10 points. Now, 10 points is not radical, but it certainly is higher, and you can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, certainly something that's going to hurt him. Now, if you look at the year before, so you kind of wonder, okay, what will he do without Julio? He actually had a couple years in the league without Julio. The year before Julio Jones showed up there, he had 28 touchdown passes to nine interceptions. So that was a pretty good year without Julio Jones, right? Mm-hmm. It's important to note, he did have Roddy White and Tony Gonzalez. And Roddy White, by the way, is very underrated. He was a good wide receiver. And Tony Gonzalez um, is one of the greatest tight ends of all time. In fact, statistically the best ever when it comes to catches and yards. So uh, he had some weapons there. Yeah. Any for thoughts sure. on that there? No, I completely agree. He definitely takes a big fantasy hit. For me, the biggest concern isn't, how much worse he's going to get with the loss of Julio. It's that he was already struggling last year, and now you go an extra eight games without Julio. For me, he becomes kind of fantasy irrelevant at this point, and I know there's definitely going to be weeks where, based on matchup, I'm going to be playing him, but he's nowhere, for me, near that top 12 starting range at this point. So I try to be objective in our analysis here, and if you're a Falcons fan and and you're emotionally invested in this, maybe you can't be objective. Here's what I said about Matt Ryan. He's a good quarterback. I think that we can acknowledge that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, He's a solid fantasy player, but he is far from elite even when he had Julio Jones. Um, So here's what I looked at. In his entire career, he's averaged 27 touchdown passes per season. Um, He's broke 30 touchdown passes three times in 13 seasons. 
Um, and to me, 30 touchdown passes is what I would call like a benchmark for what you're hoping for or you want from your fantasy quarterback, mm-hmm. uh, unless, of course, you're streaming from week to week. And so um, that's what you hope to get. You want to get that guy who's going to get over 30, especially in a passer-friendly league now. Mm-hmm. He's only done that three out of 13 times with Julio. The one good thing I would say for Matt and Ryan, the entire offense, is one Julio got traded in the offseason. And so that's going to help the transition. It's going to give him an entire preseason and camp to work with these other you know, weapons and things like that. It's a lot better than trying to adjust on the fly if that trade took place, let's say, in you know, week four, five, or six. It's nice to have the whole offseason rather than trying to make what I call midseason adjustments there. Um, now, to counteract the loss of him, they did add two players that I think can be helpful. Tight end Kyle Pitts, um, fourth overall pick. A guy's a stud. We'll get to him in a little bit. And they added Mike Davis. Now, Mike Davis, a running back, uh, he's got good hands out of the backfield. Actually, he's a good weapon coming out of there. He's shown that. Um, but there's no way around it. You, you know, the add of those guys, it might offset a little bit, but it drops his value. So kind of I'm going to land with where I kind of see him. Okay, um, I think the best way that he could have redeeming fantasy value next year would be the development one of Kyle Pitts at tight end. He needs him yeah. to develop fast and quick. Or one, uh, the defense is just brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the defense just comes out, and they're so brutal that by sheer volume, he may not be efficient, but fantasy numbers are there during the garbage time or playing catch And we saw that a couple years ago with uh, Blake Bortles, mm-hmm. who uh, had, I think it's 33 or 34 touchdown passes um, just playing catch-up. Now, last year, uh, and once again, I talk about if you have a bad defense, a lot of volume might be there, but last year actually led the league in um, passing pass attempts, attempts. and dropbacks. Yeah, dropbacks, and yet he still only had 26 touchdown passes, so that's uh, not good. He's had back-to-back years with 26. Um, his current... Average draft position is 15th quarterback taken off the board in about the ninth round. Last year's average draft position was 8th quarterback being taken. I would say, uh, based on his struggles last year and the trade of Julio Jones, I would say that he fluctuates between maybe 15 to 18 as far as the quarterback rating. So a 15 ADP is what I would call a pretty accurate reflection of his current value at quarterback. All right, so that's Matt Ryan for you. Um, Now I want to talk about Ryan Tannehill. Probably won't be as long as that. I think it's pretty straightforward. Guys, he was already a good fantasy option. He finished ninth in fantasy quarterback scoring um, despite finishing 18th in dropbacks. So he was incredibly efficient. In fact, he was third in fantasy points per dropback. So really productive. But speaking of production, I actually would like to stop and take a look back at the Titans offense as a whole. Shared this stat with you the, uh, the other day. I was over the last two seasons... The Titans have been just absolutely dominant. 110 touchdowns, uh, 23 yards of or 23 plays of 50 plus yards, a red zone touchdown percentage of 75%, and 47 rushing touchdowns. All of those over the last two seasons are first in the NFL. Um, when you add in the addition of Julio Jones, the Tennessee Titans offense is right up there with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and any other offense in the league. They really are an elite offense. I mean that. Now, to take it back a little bit, they did lose some weapons in Corey Davis and Jonu Smith. Those don't sound like big losses, but Corey Davis had 984 yards on 15 yards per catch and five touchdowns, and Jonu Smith had 41 catches for 441 yards. Doesn't sound so great, but he did have eight touchdowns. So that is a lot of yards there to lose. However, you will go out and get a guy in Julio Jones who is incredibly, incredibly productive, and again, we'll come back to some of the guys, those more guys later on. But I think Julio Jones more than replaces Corey Davis and Jonu Smith. I do mean that. I think when we look at a guy like Jonu, a lot of that was volume based on him not having a lot of weapons. 
don't necessarily think that they lost a key piece there. But again, we come back to Ryan Tannehill. He was already good. He finished fourth with seven rushing touchdowns last year. And then boom, you add in Julio Jones, who was on pace for 1,400 yards. He averaged a quarterback rating, or excuse me, generated a quarterback rating of 131 when targeted and his 15.1 yards per catch. Ultimately, guys, he's incredibly productive. If he's healthy this year, of course, that's something to monitor. But if he's healthy... He is, you know, a top 15 talent at the wide receiver position. He adds a lot of value. And for me, Ryan Tannehill goes from that 12 to 8 range where he's, you know, a bottom starting quarterback. You know, he's a starter, but I don't think I can compare him to some of those other quarterbacks. Now you throw in a Julio Jones there and you got to start looking at him as a top six or even top five fantasy QB. I have a hard time believing he's going to finish number one because that low volume, because that offense with Derrick Henry, I think he's limited to not being able to quite hit some of those numbers. But yeah, you got two phenomenal wide receivers now in an incredibly productive offense, and he's more mobile than he gets credit for. So for me, I think he's kind of got to get bumped up into you know that top seven, top six, maybe even top five range, kind of depending on how some things work out for you. Ultimately, the only thing holding him back now is still going to hold him back from what it has in the past is that he just hasn't had volume 18th in dropbacks guys that is you know does not scream to me a guy who can finish number one at the position and yet third in fantasy points per dropback that efficiency says that he still has to be somewhere in that top half of the fantasy QB so it is an interesting hard to evaluate a guy who has on kind of such extremes he's almost the opposite of Matt Ryan Matt Ryan had huge volume with low efficiency he's got low volume with To be quite honest, the first year, you go back to 2019 with the Tennessee Titans, I didn't think they could repeat that efficiency, and yet they somehow managed to do it. And so for me, Ryan Tannehill's great because, quite honestly, he's a safe option. He really is. And we'll get to their defense later, but they were the seventh worst fantasy defense and the fifth worst defense as far as points per game, Um, which is weird. You don't typically see a quarterback in an offense where their defense struggles still having low volume, but again, Ultimately, guys, love Ryan Tannehill. For me, I got to bump him up into that sort of top six uh, right around there in that spot. Yeah, you talk about uh, Tannehill and so anyways. Yeah, you mentioned he's a good fantasy quarterback, but I would go one further, in, in, and obviously you said this, but he's a good quarterback. Uh, now, it's easy now to say that he's went to Tennessee, he's having a good year, people are jumping on his bandwagon. But I tell you what, there was a while there where people thought this guy was a wash, you know, just a wasted pick, wasn't very good, came out of Miami. If you track us and follow us here, when he was in Miami, we said this guy is underrated, he's very good. When he had traded or he went to, I should say, when he went to uh, – the Titans, we actually, in our video said it's only a matter of time before he's a starting quarterback and Marcus Mariota's out. Um, this guy is an underrated, good quarterback. Mm-hmm. So should I get to the running backs Yeah, now? let's get to the running backs. Why don't you start yeah. us off with Mike Davis? So we'll talk about Mike Davis. Okay, so if you look at his career, at times he's been a strong play. Uh, he's filled in nicely at times as a backup in limited fashion. But overall, he hasn't been a dominant running back if you're looking just simply his ability to run the ball. He's got a career yards per care of 3.9. Um, so he's coming in now to replace Todd Gurley. Now, Todd Gurley last year was certainly not the Todd Gurley we saw years ago, and he struggled. Todd Gurley had a 3.5 yards per carry. And so as far as Mike Davis coming in, that bar set kind of low. He doesn't have to do a whole lot to, to meet those expectations. Now, he's on a team there, if you look at the offensive line, because when it comes to running the ball, it's always about the offensive line. Last year, Atlanta's offensive line was 21st. They finished. That was their rating. And right now, they're projected to finish right about that same level in the bottom third. So it's not a great offensive line in terms of running the ball. He's been a guy that I would call a journeyman. This is his fifth team right now. So what's to like about Mike Davis, if anything? Well, here's what I would say I do like about him. Um, 
The guy's strong in the receiving game. He's got good hands. Last year he had 59 catches in 15 games. He'll get some of those targets that Julio is going to now leave now that he's left. And, uh, and when I look at him, I would say that it's really safe, barring injuries, if he stays healthy, you know, 50 to 60 catches are very reasonable expectations for him this season. Last year he finished eighth in the league and catch percentage among running backs. So that's solid. It's not just volume. He's, he's shown he's a very capable receiver. And he's got quality size. He's 5'9", 220. He'll get some goal line carries. So that's, that was a nice bonus. Now, currently, his average draft position is the 31st running back being taken. I think that's probably going to improve unless one of the rookies comes out of nowhere or they, they, they bring somebody in. But I think that's going to go up. It's going to get better. But at 31st, that means he, he falls into what I would call the running back three range. Um, but in PPR leagues, not standard, but in PPR leagues, he could easily creep into the running back two conversation in leagues over 12 teams or larger. Okay. And he's a guy that could be a sneaky sleeper pick. He could. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason why is when it comes to fantasy, half the battle is opportunity. And right now he's got that. Now what could happen next year with him is right now it looks like he's the primary guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the Falcons have a bad year. They're out of contention. And they take a look at a couple of young rookies that they brought in to build for the future. Maybe in the process that he loses touches. Um, but right now he's clearly the number one back there and he's got the opportunity to be successful. So how does Julio Jones leaving affect his overall value? I would say actually not as much as it would affect other players on that team. Maybe he gets a light bump in PPR value, but the trade really doesn't have a ton of effect on him as far as where he's at. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, the only concern there is, does the offense stall out enough to limit his touchdown production? And that's really the question. But in a PPR league, you do have more safe value. Um, I want to talk about Derrick Henry now, because I, I don't, unless you do, I don't have anything more to say on Mike Davis. Yeah. Um, Derrick Henry's really straightforward. This guy ran for over 2,000 yards last year. That is such a rare feat to do, despite how many phenomenal running backs there have been in the NFL. It's never been done by a running back more than once, right? So the question was, you know, never been done by a running back more than once. Could Derrick Henry be that guy? One, I think we could have already assumed probably not. I felt like that was a safe assumption. He's going to be phenomenal. He's going to have probably 16 to 1,800 rushing yards. I mean that. Um, but for him to repeat that success was a bit of a stretch, and there were concerns with, hey, you know, is that offense, you know, do they have enough weapons? They lose Davis and Jonu Smith. Um, but I think the bigger concern now is they've almost got too many weapons. You've got two great wide receivers in that offense. Um, you know, is he going to be able to repeat that? For me, I don't think so. He had 378 carries last year. That was 66 carries more than the next best guy who was Dalvin Cook. In fact, I'm going to put a graph up right now to show you guys visually how much more that is than every other running back. So he was far and away, had way more touches than any other guy. And for me, it's hard to believe he's going to get that kind of volume. If you're the Tennessee Titans, you want to make a deep playoff run and have your running back last a long time in a league where running backs fade quick when they begin to fade. You got to start to limit his touches and be more efficient. You got to start to use that passing game a bit more. So that's definitely a minor concern in in my sort of perspective. However, I think it stops bust potential, right? Is, you know, maybe there's a season where he rushes for tons more yards, but the offense struggles, so he doesn't score as many touchdowns. Well, they got that extra weapon. That's not going to happen. Um, so I think he's limited and that he's not going to have that 2,000-yard season. But we're not going to see him bust. I think we have another year where last year he had 17 rushing touchdowns. I think we could see that again, where he continues to see that 17, you know, 16 to 20 touchdown range because just how um, productive that offense has and will continue to be. One more notable stat on Derrick Henry. In the first quarter of games through last season, do you know what his yards per carry was, Rob? No. 3.8 yards per carry. So this is the old adage of wearing down a defense. This is the old adage of wearing down a defense because in the fourth quarter, he averaged 6.6 yards per carry. 
Um, this is huge. Julio Jones helps them out in the first quarter when the defense hasn't been worn down yet. They're going to be more productive earlier on, and that is going to maybe you know limit them from needing to go to Derrick Henry as much. So I do think we're going to see a slight dip in volume. That being said, in standard leagues, I'm going to say this, he is still the number one standard league running back. Is that, I mean, am I wrong to think that? No, I think you're spot on. The one thing you don't have to worry, he's not going to lose targets because one, he's barely targeted in the passing game to begin with. So <laughs> you can't go from, I mean, 15, and I think is what he got, 15 or 17, whatever, his targets are low. Um, yeah, I think his touchdowns are safer now. I think that, yeah, his yards will go down, um, but his efficiency will stay up. You're not going to load the box against this guy, right? So Yeah, well, now you can't load the box against him. He might have easier rushes for sure. And so, again, I think in standard leagues, he's still number one. In half PPR and PPR, he's still got to be at least top five, right? You may love a McCaffrey thinking he comes back from injury fine or Dalvin Cook or Kamara. Um, needless to say, and I'm just going to put this out there, we were talking about this as we did our running back rankings. There is so much talent. There has never been a larger tier one ever before that we have ever done our rankings. So that is something to note. But uh, that is Derrick Henry. I didn't have a whole lot to say there because he's going to be as good as he's always been. All right. So let's get to uh, wide receivers. Ready to move on? Yeah. Talk about Atlanta's wide receivers. Talk about Cordell Patterson. You know, he uh, goes back, a Viking back in the day. We're Vikings fans. So what is he? Well, he's a gadget player. He's a nice tool to have. He brings a lot to a football team overall, adds versatility. As far as fantasy value goes, uh, the consistency's not there. Um, he wasn't going to be a big fantasy player anyways. Who are leaving doesn't change that at all, right? Mm-hmm. So we won't talk much about Cordell Patterson. I want to talk about Calvin Ridley because this is the one that, you know, what's this mean for Calvin Ridley? Um, so uh, kind of here it is with Calvin Ridley. A lot of people heading into the season already had him ranked pretty highly. You know, he came off a huge year last year. I think he finished fourth in points overall for wide receivers. And then the, the conversation has been, has this guy become a, what I would call a stud wide receiver one? I mean, does he become a can't-miss wide receiver like a DeAndre Hopkins? Is that what he's going to be there? Um, and that the trade for Julio Jones leaving has only increased that conversation. And you can see currently his average draft position is a seventh wide receiver taken. So that's reflecting where people feel very good about this guy being a stud. Now, last year I mentioned he finished fourth in points among wide receivers. So with Julio leaving, it'd be foolish to think of him anything other than a wide receiver one, right? Like, how would you consider anything differently and he was already there last year and now Julio is going to be gone. So I agree with that. Do you agree that he's a wide receiver one? I do agree with that. Now, I think there's a difference between his PPR value and his standard league value, but I'm sure we'll get to that. I'll just leave it be. Okay. So uh, so here's where I see him finishing. I think he's going to finish in the top 12. So that's a wide receiver one finish. Um, I think he might regress and lose some efficiency. And I'll get to that in a bit. Um, but he'll overcome that loss with volume. Now, here's some more thoughts about him, things you want to consider when you look at him overall. He's a former first-round pick, so he's got the pedigree. This guy, you know, he's not a fluke. I mean, he's the real deal. There's a reason why he's a first-round pick. He had a very strong rookie season, and he statistically improved each subsequent year after that. Now, if you look at Calvin Ridley, uh, I didn't realize I was looking this up yesterday. Calvin Ridley, in his first three seasons, he's got 217 receptions, 3,061 yards, and 26 touchdowns in 44 NFL games. Only four other wide receivers have done better. And uh, I didn't realize how good he's been. Marcus Colston, uh, wide receiver for the Saints back in the day, very good. Uh, A.J. Green and Odell Beckham. Okay, And then the fourth one that's beat him is Julio Jones. Uh, Julio in that same 44 games at 241 receptions, 3,649 yards, 23 touchdowns. So um, he's in really great company, um, that guy. Now, if you look at Calvin Ridley, his strength is speed. You know, um, his speed allows him to be a deep threat. He can run sharp routes. He's got cutting speed. He's quick. Uh, he creates separation. He ran at 4.4340, and so that's where he's at. Now, here's the thing is actually Julio Jones, you know, had similar speed. 
Uh, the difference is Julio's bigger by about three inches and about 25 pounds. He's got a better vertical. Um, Julio Jones is just phenomenal. Um, and it's kind of unfair to compare the two, if we're being honest. It's just mm-hmm. not a fair comparison. Now, here's what his value comes down to me, uh, Calvin Ridley's. It comes down to a few things. One, his ceiling talent-wise, like how talented is he? Uh, Matt Ryan's effectiveness. And simply this, what wins out? Does volume win out? Or does he get hurt by the extra attention and draw on the top cornerbacks in the league now that Julio's gone? Mm-hmm. If you think back to last year, um, cornerback for the Packers, Alexander, actually shut him down. So obviously he struggled in that game there, if you recall that. Now, when Julio was gone last year, he received 30% of the target share and averaged 109 receiving yards during the games without Julio. If you take a look at it, um, with and without Julio in the lineup, what Calvin Ridley did, here's what we found with Julio Jones um, in the lineup. He had a passer rating of 1.3, I'm sorry, 135, and quarterbacks were throwing the ball. That was his passer rating here. I'm throwing off so many stats. My His passer rating generated. Yeah, I'm just, my brain's spinning today. Sorry, I've been so busy. So anyways, the passer rating generated went through to him with Julio Jones is 135. He had six receiving touchdowns and 23.3 fantasy points per game without Julio, okay? Um, he had a pass rate of 91, so it dropped quite a bit. And uh, Tiger share did go up, but his fantasy points per game dropped. So here's what we see is that with Julio gone, his efficiency dropped. Uh, and, uh, and I think a lot of that was made up by the fact that they were praying from behind. Matt Ryan was throwing the ball there, and so the volume kind of kept him fine as a receiver. Uh, but he was certainly less dominant when he was the guy to be leaned on as the number one wide receiver. Now, since... Uh, really has joined um, the Falcons. Whenever Julio Jones has been got, gone or not been in the lineup his entire, I think it's like a total of eight games that he's been out. Mm-hmm. During those eight games, he's been gone, not just last year, but the other year before that. Um, during those eight games, really averaged about 11 targets per game, seven receptions per game, and 107 receiving yards. Um, in the 36 games he's played with Jones, you see that number drops down about six targets, four receptions, 61 yards, et cetera. And so certainly, yeah, obviously the, the volume changes there. But here's where I think that He'll be fine. He's going to be good. He's going to get this um, because of volume. But if you actually get into some of the metrics, um, his catch percentage uh, dropped from the year before. Um, his catch percentage has actually never been that great. It's been a little bit concerning. Um, he had one year he dropped 9% of catchable throws, and last year he dropped 11%. Mm-hmm. And so he's, you know, that's not good when you're dropping 10% of your throws. He needs to improve in that area. And here's the other thing. If you look at contested catches, Okay, he, he was really in the middle of the pack wide receivers. Only 41% of the throws his way were contested catches for him. And so um, that's not great either. My take, here's my take on it all. Just bring it full circle here. Um, the Julio trade solidifies him as a bona fide low-end middle, maybe wide receiver one. Um, I think he's very solid. He's got a very, very safe floor now. But I think he could have struggles with efficiency. Um, could he become like Juju Smith-Schuster, who after Antonio Brown left, struggled um, that could possibly happen. I don't see a major statistical regression um, because even though he might lose efficiency, um, volume will keep him a very solid and safe play. He's very good, obviously. I like Calvin Ridley. I think you got him in a keeper league, don't you? I do have him in a keeper league, and, and that's the tough thing. It's a PPR keeper league, so I don't feel that bad about it. It could mm-hmm. be worse, honestly. Um, worse things have definitely happened. Um, Here's the thing with it, and that's just it. In a PPR league, that extra volume, he's going to be okay. I have a massive concern about his touchdown production, though. I do not trust the Falcons' offense. They already struggled to find the end zone last year, and you lose a key weapon. You know, in a standard league, he takes a massive hit for me. Whereas in a PPR league, yeah, I bump him down a little bit, but not really that much. I think his increased yards and volume will make up for that a bit. But you have to wonder where those touchdowns are going to go. Yeah, yeah. So my um, take on the—he's a very good wide receiver. You can feel very comfortable with him, very safe with him. 
but I don't ever see him reaching the heights of Julio Jones. Julio Jones is really a, a phenomenal once-in-a-lifetime talent. So that's my take on him. Anything you want to add about Calvin Ridley? Nope. Okay, so let me get to the other wide receivers for Atlanta. We'll talk about who becomes the number two in there. Is it, uh, you know, Sharp? Is it uh, Christian Blake? Who is it? Well, the guy that right now looks like he's going to be the number two guy is Russell Gage. And uh, he's probably the player that benefits the most on that team with Julio Jones leaving. Uh, he becomes a solid number two guy. Last year he had a solid year at 72 catches, 786 yards. Uh, if you go all the way back to 2019, he averaged 1.82 yards of separation per target. That was 17th in the league among wide receivers. That's pretty good. Um, he's improved each year since he's been in the league. He's made improvements there. Um, here's where I see him shaking out. I won't get into all these metrics. I want this video to be too long. We're already going pretty far, aren't we? Yeah. Um, I think he's going to fall into what I call wide receiver four or five, depending upon your league size. He'll be a plug and play based on matchups and injuries. Uh, a year for him, I would expect of maybe 70 catches, 850 yards, and maybe six or seven touchdowns. Um, I think that's reasonable. I think that's solid. Maybe if everything falls into place, he maybe reaches 1,000 yards receiving. But his ceiling's lower than, for example, some of the younger wide receivers out there who maybe um, don't have quite the opportunity or experience but have a much higher ceiling that you can develop over time. So for me, I wouldn't trust him on your team as a wide receiver three. Don't do it. Don't draft this guy and think, okay, he's my guy. But he's a nice bench player to have. Um, that's my take on their wide receiver situation. Anything you want to add to that? No, I got nothing to add. Let's talk about A.J. Brown and just keep it short and simple. He finished 14th in PPR scoring last year. With the loss of those two other weapons and Johnu and Corey Davis, we really expected that the volume was going to go up and the talk in the fantasy community was, what kind of target share is A.J. Brown going to have? He almost has to be a lock-in for a wide receiver one, you know, to be that top 12. And that was all true. Now they had Julio Jones and here's what happens. His ceiling as a wide receiver one is not going to happen anymore. He will not finish in the top 12 or be a wide receiver one. But he is the most deadlock safe pick for a wide receiver two or even a high-end wide receiver two uh, in the league. I think he is just like guaranteed. I have no concerns about that happening. And, And let me break it down for you why. He's been incredibly productive, but the volume hasn't been there. And that was the one thing we thought we might have seen this year that he now probably will not see. He had 101 targets. That was tied for 29th amongst receivers, and his 70 catches was tied for 27th. Again, volume not there, but the production was. His 1,075 yards was 14th, and his 11 touchdowns were 5th. So yeah, he was very productive with what he had. He simply needed more volume to begin competing with guys like... Uh, Stefan Diggs, who were out there getting 145 targets in a season. I mean, it's just, it's so difficult to compete with those guys when you're not seeing, you know, when you're only seeing two thirds as much volume. And so when you bring in a guy like Julio, you're going to limit the volume that he's going to get. But I think we're going to see more touchdowns towards AJ Brown. Go back to 2017. Remember that Julio Jones had 1,444 receiving yards and just three receiving touchdowns. Julio Jones has always been a big PPR and a big yardage guy. And for some reason, can't quite put my finger on it, he's just never found the end zone as much as he should have, right? With how talented and phenomenal and skilled as he is, they get into the red zone and he kind of loses a little production. It's the opposite with A.J. Brown, who didn't have the volume, but he had 11 touchdowns despite being 20, uh, excuse me, 11 touchdowns was fifth amongst receivers despite being 29th in targets. So he kind of flips the script a little bit on that. I imagine that A.J. Brown is going to be a touchdown machine. I think he's a safe pick for at least 10. Could very well see him going, you know, 11, 12, 13, even 14 receiving touchdowns this year. I mean that with just how productive that offense has been. And again, don't forget with what we talked about with Ryan Tannehill. He's got a great quarterback. That offense as a whole is set. 
Um, so that's kind of where I where I land with him. I think he's really been locked in as a much more safe pick than he was. Lowered his ceiling a tiny bit, but again, not very much. Yeah, you know, I uh, I thought about it. If you look at the average draft position, uh, if you look at uh, Brown or also Julio Jones, Brown I think currently right now is six, and Julio Jones is fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that'll fluctuate and change, but ultimately they've got both of them in the top fifteen. And you add in Henry, it's like uh, can these guys all finish that high? Mm-hmm. My first thought is I just don't think that they can. You know, that's a lot. Although, if you think back, it has happened before. You look at the Minnesota Vikings when they had Robert Smith and Carter and Moss. Uh, you look at the Rams when they had, you know, Wayne and Harrison and Edgren James. Well, what about the Vikings last year? Adam Thielen, uh, Justin Jefferson, and Dalvin Cook. They yeah. all finished. I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, it was like 11 red zone touchdowns by Adam Thielen. Yeah. was second only to Devontae Adams. Justin Jefferson had the best rookie wide receiver year that I've ever been able to really watch and see. You know, I've been really into it. And then Davin Cook finished you know, number two in fantasy there. So so that can be a little scary, but I, I certainly think it's possible. And like you said, that offense um, has been unbelievable the past two years. So it wasn't mm-hmm. just last year. That offense is pretty solid. And again, it's off of efficiency, not volume, which is funny because you'd think they'd be getting volume when they have the fifth worst points per game defense in the NFL. Um, So again, I actually do think that there's room there for everyone to kind of succeed and have their part. Um, I'll just say briefly now, um, this definitely gives a minor but not noticeable boost to their kicker. And I think it gives a minor but not noticeable boost to their defense. However, again, their defense was seventh worst in fantasy points per game. So this does not give them enough to really have any fantasy relevance. But that kind of rounds out the tight ends for me. I know, again, they, they really lean on their top guys and they don't go to their depth a lot. So there wasn't a whole lot for me to talk about. But I think you got to talk about some tight ends now. Yeah, I think tight ends are going to have a major role for Atlanta. Let's start with Hayden Hurst. Uh, this could become a situation with Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez back in the day, that sort of snare where those two tight ends are on the field a lot together. In fact, if you look at the coach they brought in, Aaron Smith, uh, when he was in Tennessee, he used two tight end sets quite often. So I think that's what we're going to see, especially early in the year. Now, he's a former first-round pick who was actually highly touted coming out of college. He kind of got stuck in Baltimore there and wasn't very productive. Why? One, there's some other good tight ends. Two, um, the quarterback play wasn't good in terms of, like, passing effectiveness or efficiency. Okay, Lamar Jackson is a phenomenal athlete. Not really good in the pocket, yeah. if we're being honest. Okay, I know some of you are going to just go lose your mind, but let's be real here. Now, he came out and said, Hurst said this year that he's on a, a mission to, to improve, defend, you know, definitely wants to improve. And I suppose you're going to do that after they draft a top uh, tight end and you feel like your job's threatened. But he says he wants to play harder this year and make improvements. I hope he can do that. Now, last year, he was a tight end for the Falcons. He was a primary guy, and he had a decent year, 56 catches, 571 yards, and six TDs, which were all career highs for him um, since he's been in the league. But being he was a first overall pick, or I'm sorry, not first overall, first round, he's a 25th pick. That's still kind of lower expectations. I think everybody felt like he could do a little bit better. Now, he did get there in the last offseason. Some could argue that, okay, uh, maybe the reason why he uh, wasn't more productive is he lost the offseason, the transition there, time to spend and work some things out. If that was the case with the new coach and new quarterback, as the year went on, his stats should have improved. But that's not what happened. Um, mm-hmm. It didn't get better as the year went on. So that tells me that we might be simply seeing his peak. Mm-hmm. Now, um, they drafted Pitts, as I mentioned. And I think drafting Pitts is not necessarily a vote of no confidence for Hurst. I think it simply comes down to the best talent available. Pitts has unlimited upside. This guy is so talented. He has a type of talent. He could be a future Hall of Fame at tight end. He's that good. Um, so that's why I think they drafted him. I guess either way, it's not really going to matter why they drafted him. The bottom line is Hurst will lose a few targets there. It's going to lose his potential value. 
Uh, to me, he won't be a, a top 12 tight end unless uh, Pitts gets injured or just extremely, you know, there's some ineptitude there or he doesn't play well. Let's get to Kyle Pitts. Um, this guy is uh, a stud. His metrics are off the charts. This guy's got everything that you want. I'm excited to, to see how this guy goes. I'm in a league where you have to draft tight ends. And uh, right now my tight end's not good. I got some talent on there, but I need a tight end. I've got the second overall pick in that first round. Now, we protect five players. Mm -hmm. So really, in essence, we're actually starting in the sixth round is where we're kind of drafting, right? And, uh, and I think I'm going to take him as the overall, number two overall pick in that one there. Um, I think I'm going to grab him, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to temper my expectations year one. But I don't dare pass on this guy. He's far too talented. And here's yeah. why I'm going to temper that. Well, and I hate to steal your thunder, but you cannot miss on the next Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey. You know why? Because I can really only think of three long-term fantasy-relevant tight ends that I've really ever been able to watch. Three. There's always a new quarterback. Every couple of years, there's a new running back. And there's always a new receiver. You can't pass on a, on a tight end who could possibly be a keeper for you for the next five, six years. Yeah, this guy's unbelievable. And by the way, he's only 20 years old, five, six years. This guy could have 12 years in the league. Yeah. Um, so anyways, he's really talented. I'm probably going to draft him but keep my expectations low. And here's why I'm going to keep my expectations low with him. Um, we did a video a couple years ago, and we broke down tight ends and how they transitioned to the NFL. We did an up-depth breakdown. Hopefully you saw that. If not, let us know. We could probably find that video and send it to you. And here's what we have found. You know, running backs can come in the league and immediately be successful. Wide receivers have done it. But tight ends simply don't have good rookie years. If you study, look at uh, Gonzalez, Gates, Kelsey, Kittle, Shannon Sharp. Um, you could go with uh, Winslow. You name it. Um, these guys didn't come and have great numbers of rookie year. And I think here's why. It has to do with um, pass protection and blocking and run blocking. Mm -hmm. To me, a tight end has a much greater role blocking than, say, a wide receiver. So if a wide receiver is deficient in that area, there's probably still going to have him on the field. But a tight end, you have got to be able to do that. And they struggle at times making that transition in. And that's mm -hmm. one concern I have as far as Pitts because during the combine, the evaluation that he has as far as his blocking ability, says he maybe lacks what they call mass core strength for missing what they call inline blocking. He struggles to sustain the, what they call the point of contact. And he needs to work on his inside hands and how he takes on defenders. And those are all blocking issues they have. Their concern is ability to come in and be an effective blocker. So that might hurt him as he transitions in right away. Yeah. And I think that's why other tight ends don't come in and get a lot of playing time and be successful. But his strengths are off the charts. Mm -hmm. He's unbelievably large. He's got athleticism. He's uh, got good hands. Um, they, they, a lot of people have compared him to Calvin Johnson, mm -hmm. Megatron, right? So they say that he's that sort of impact player. Um, they think he's a guy that's going to create all sorts of matchup issues. For, you know, he's, he's too fast for, for linebackers, but he's too big for cornerbacks. You know, he kind of reminds me of a little bit as far as that mix mat or mismatch. Who's that? Um, Metcalf. Yeah. The wide receiver for Seattle. Now, granted, he's a wide receiver, but still the guy is just, he is so big and he's so physical. Now, he's only 20 years old, and that gives him a high ceiling, but it also means that he's going to be a great keeper, but he's already young at a one position where they already struggle to transition and experience is so important. Mm -hmm. I think that he's going to have a very good season. Um, I'm just not sure if I can trust him a big season. A lot of people have kind of talked about him being like a, a wide receiver at the tight end position. You know, they've talked about Evan Ingram being that when he came in the league. Well, I was going to say, the last time that happened, I got burned mm -hmm. two years in a row. So I'm not touching that again. Yeah, so a lot of people said about Evan Ingram, like, ah, this guy's got wide receiver talent, but he's a tight end. The difference is, is Pitts is faster and he's bigger. Okay. Yeah. Um, unbelievable. In fact, he rated the combine this year of all the players. Number one rated at the combine was uh, quarterback Lawrence. Number two is Pitts. Mm -hmm. um, so here's what I would say. Here's where I land with it. Um, I'm concerned because he's a rookie tight end, but he's far too talented to ignore. 
I think he's going to finish um, 11 or 12 as far as tight end points go. Maybe if everything goes well, he could finish in the top five, but he will not overtake the likes of Kittle or Kelsey, at least not in the first season. So that's kind of where I'm at with this. Well, here's the one thing, bringing this back to Julio Jones, the guy that really impacted and started this whole video. Um, when you want your tight end to develop fast, what do you need? Volume. More targets, more playing time, more share, more role in the offense. Julio being gone helps that. He will develop faster now without Julio than he would have with. So that's huge. And I do get that, you know, maybe Julio would have been a good mentor. He's very talented, but at different positions, I'm not sure that really would have had a big impact. So I think this does affect him positively. I just don't know that it'll affect him positively enough to make him a top three or four fantasy tight end his rookie year. But I'd love to be proven wrong. So now I'll talk about the Atlanta kicker last year. He finished second in points. He did miss one game. He's got a strong leg. This guy hit a number of kicks beyond 50. He hit 95% of his kicks. Um, I think he's going to have another good year. I don't think he's going to finish second in points. I think he'll be top 12. And he's got a high ceiling that could leave him a five or six. So I, I like the kicker in this. I think that offense is going to move the ball. They've got some talent there. But they'll probably stall out a lot because I don't think. I think for me, the way that you're strong in the red zone is you got to be able to run the ball, and I don't know if that Davis can do that. So I think they're going to move really well between the twenties, stall out a lot. I think you could have a huge year kicking. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to talk about is defenses, and I'll say this: I talked a lot about volume, volume, volume. We've been saying the whole video volume is the key, opportunity is the key. Mm -hmm. So for me, the whole Atlanta team that I've discussed, to me, their fantasy value is really contingent to one thing. If you study Matt Ryan, his good years are also almost in conjunction with their defense struggling. Mm -hmm. And so to me, Atlanta's defense and how well they adjust, how well they do is going to determine the rest of their value. Last year, they're 19th in points allowed, but uh, they had a brutal first half. Their defense was atrocious, but they actually made significant improvements in the second half there. So I guess that's what it really comes down to. All right. So this is going to be fun, guys. I want to hear from you. Where do you rank Julio Jones in your fantasy rankings? And I would, again, I'd love to hear the differences between PPR and standard. I don't honestly do too much of that. I typically just evaluate a player straight up and uh, almost tend towards treating them too much the same in both types of leagues. But I've been trying to do a little bit more of that this offseason, really differentiating uh, what types of players are you know playing and being used in which types of ways. So we'd love to hear from you guys what kind of impact that this is going to have. And here's my question. I said this to Rob the other day. I think the Titans might be the best offense in the NFL. I think they could be better than the Chiefs. I think they could be better than the Bucks. And if you guys want, I'll go in the comments and I'll tell you all about my thoughts about it. We can argue about it and you can call me an idiot. But uh, that's my thoughts for the video. Rob, do you have anything else you want to say? No, I think that's it. Look forward to running back video to come out in a couple of days. Uh, leave a comment, like, share. Let's get the word out. We're trying to build the momentum back. We're excited to have Justin come join us soon here. I think in a couple of weeks he's going to be here. So anyways, uh, God bless and take care.